0: Thanks for joining the Vet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist. Also, a mom of two trying to find the balance just like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make Derm more fun than frustrating. Hey, gals and guys. So today, we are going to talk some cats. Why? Because cats are not straightforward. They like to be very unique. They just don't show their allergies the same way that dogs do. So they can be a little difficult, and it can be challenging sometimes to work cats up, but it can also be a really amazing thing once you get comfortable when dealing with cats. I just recently got back from doing lectures at bmX in Orlando, and one of my lectures was specifically about the the unique ways that cats show their allergies and how we can use some fear free methods to get them to the clinic and really do a good job medically working these cats up for their allergies but also making it an enjoyable experience for them and the owner. So I really fell in love with this topic. Um, Cats are really cool in how they show their allergies. They give us great visualization and pictures. So I thought it would be a great episode for the podcast to really focus on a couple Top tips in dealing with feline dermatology. Now, this is a huge topic, and we're going to have various podcasts that cover different aspects of feline dermatology. We can do one on allergies, we can bring some other dermatologists on. So, this is just going to be a brief overview and some of the tips I think that are often overlooked that you can change and use in order to make your feline allergy and dermatology workups better. So here's some of my top tips, um, in dealing with feline dermatology. First, I want to back up and just talk about why feline dermatology is so unique. Cats are cats, right? We always joke. They're not small dogs. They're, they're in their own realm. They're in their own reality. What's really difficult about cats is they're often more isolated. That's just in their nature, You can definitely see social cats, but a lot of them when they're sick or they're not feeling well, or if they're intimidated or scared, they by instinct go and hide. So if cats aren't feeling well and they're really itchy, a lot of times what we usually perceive as itchy, like when we see a dog and they're chewing their paws and licking and doing all of this while laying in bed with the owners cats often are more isolated and owners won't actually see them being itchy. They don't see them chewing and licking because cats are under the bed, they're in the closet, they're in the other room doing these behaviors. So owners won't particularly see them being itchy. The other difficult thing is cats are naturally groomers, but over grooming is one of the things that we see as a clinical sign of allergies but owners often don't perceive a cat who's overgrooming as being abnormal. They view that as just a cat who is a clean cat a, cat, a cat who likes to clean themselves and be very particular. So they don't view that as something that's abnormal. But we do know that overgrooming is actually one of the biggest things we see of cats with flea allergies or environmental allergies. The other difficult thing about felines is they can be resistant to various oral medications or they're resistant or more timid to go to the vet or cat owners are more skeptical to bring them to the vet because they are so fearful when they go. And as we know, dermatology is something, a specialty where we really need to see these pets very often, especially in the beginning when we're getting them under control the other unique and difficult thing about dealing with feline allergies is our treatment options are more limited. We'll have other episodes where we go over the treatment options in more depth, but besides steroids and atopica, there's nothing that's really labeled to minimize the allergic itch. You can use Apoquil, but it's off-label and it's variable in its success rate. So we're just unfortunately a bit more limited with some of our treatment options for cats, which can be very frustrating, especially when you're talking about a cat who does not like to take oral medications. So these are just some of the challenges that we deal with in feline dermatology, but just because it's challenging does not mean we can't overcome it. These are some of the tips. I'm going to give you five tips just to implement in your practice that hopefully will take some of these frustrations and allow you to not cringe every time you look on your appointment list and see a cat derm case coming in the door. We want you to be excited about these cases and not feel intimidated by them. So my first tip, and I actually in the last year or two as we've implemented this more in our own practice, really truly stand by this, especially in a case like dermatology where we are seeing these cases so often to get them under control So my first tip is really taking a hold of the idea and implementing fear-free or feline-friendly practices into your clinic. This is so important, especially for cats, because cat owners, they really connect when they see veterinarians and CSRs and vet techs and vet assistants really taking the time to use the different methodology, uh, the methods in fear-free and feline-friendly. So using, using things like the touch gradient. In dermatology, we're very lucky because everything's on the outside that we're looking at for the most part. So we can use the touch gradient and just kind of pet the cat and part the hairs as you're just giving them a good scratch and actually examine them without being so fearful. The other thing I like to do with these cats is I let, if they're nervous, let them actually hide in a towel. So we use the pheromones like Feel Away. We have adapters in the room and then we'll spray towels with Feel Away, And then essentially we'll let that cat hide under the towel And we'll just allow like the legs or the tail or the back to be uncovered by the towel while they can still bury their face because they sometimes feel safer that way, like they're hiding. And as we talked about, that's their natural go-to. A lot of these cats, they want to hide if they're nervous. So using the towel and just uncovering parts as you go often will allow you to see more parts of the cat without them trying to run away or, or crawl up the owner's shoulder. And then I'll save the head and the face for last in the the otoscopy exam where we can actually uncover the head and then use a little kitty burrito action if they're still nervous, kind of like swaddling a baby. The other thing is to not be afraid to use things um, in your fear-free practice like medical intervention. So if you do have cats that are just so nervous, they're terrified, then sedating with something like dextomator, if it's not contraindicated, so you can do a more thorough exam or sending the owners home with something like gabapentin that they can give prior to the next exam that can maybe make the cat feel a bit more at ease will be more relaxing and beneficial for everybody involved. So don't be afraid to mention, hey, they're really having a tough time in this exam. Let's try something like sending you home with gabapentin and retrying this in the future to see if we can get a better look. My second tip, and this is another one I'm really passionate about, no matter what we're talking about with allergies in any species, and that is do not be afraid to communicate with these owners. They want to be communicated with. They want to feel a part of the team. And sometimes I feel that we can be rushed and, you know, just give them an injection of steroids and give them an injection of convenia, but not really take the time to talk to these owners about what is causing this cat to be uncomfortable. What could we do to start the workup to really investigate what's causing these issues? We want to, from the get-go, Plant the seed of in order to get this cat under control in the long term without being dependent on bad things like, you know, doing injectable steroids once in a while might be okay, but when we're having to give them monthly, that's a big problem. We do not want to drive these cats to things like diabetes without really trying to work up the underlying cause so we don't have to be dependent on these things. So I always communicate with owners, what are our goals? What are the short-term things that we can do to get your cat feeling better? But what are we going to do to actually work up? Are we going to do a good Flea control trial? Are we going to go do a good diet trial? Have we ruled everything out? And we know this cat has environmental allergies. And so we do want to do allergy testing to get them on the safest long term thing possible. So I'm always communicating with owners so they feel one a part of the team when that cat does have a tough time or starts to flare. They're the eyes at home that can let me know, but I'm also communicating with them. What are our goals so that we can really successfully manage your cat long-term and not just rely on the things that might be easy right now, but could be detrimental in the long run if we're not really figuring this out. The other way I like to communicate with owners is What can you do? Like, what can you do at home? You know, sometimes people are apprehensive to do a liquid medication, but doing something like an oral capsule or an oral tablet might not be that big of a deal for them. So that, for example, Atopica is something that we use in cats quite often I'll ask owners, how does your cat handle liquid? It's a bit of a bitter taste. Is that something you think would be successful in your cat? Because I've had some cats that do much better actually taking the capsule form. And even though the capsule form can be quite large, they're much easier to do than trying to shoot a liquid down their mouth. I've had cat owners where they love bathing. I know sometimes that seems crazy. Um, but I've absolutely had cat owners where their cat doesn't mind a bath and they're all about topical therapy. They feel connected to doing things like bathing and it makes them really happy. So I just always ask owners, what is realistic for you to do at home? Whether that's oral medications, giving injections at home when we do immunotherapy, doing topical therapy, what frequency really works for them? Because I will always have my ideal list of things I want done, but that's not helping the patient if the owner can't do it at home. So that's another way that we're communicating with them is what is my treatment plan, something that's realistic for you to accomplish at home. My third tip, and this is another big one. Well, I think all of these are important. That's why they made the top five list. But my third one is when you are talking to a cat owner and you're getting that derm history and we've talked in other podcast episodes how important it is to get a quality derm history, do not ask cat owners, is your cat itchy? You you don't want to just ask that because itchy, quote unquote, looks very differently in a cat. People often think itchy just means, well, they're scratching but cats can look itchy in lots of ways. So I ask owners: Does your cat overgroom? Do they, you know, lick their belly a lot more than you'd suspect your other cat does, or expect another cat to lick? Does your cat get a lot of hairballs? That's a really big one. People always identify with hairballs and cats but if they're excessive hairballs, a big reason is probably because they're over grooming. So if we can identify that and ask, do they, I've had owners actually able to pick up that the cat only got hairballs during certain times of the year because the cat was seasonally allergic and they would just over groom during the summer and spring. So they'd have a lot more hairballs and then not really have hairballs other times of the year. Does the cat rub its face? We always think of kind of that little kitten paw rubbing its face being really cute, but it can be a sign that the cat is really itchy. Does the cat head shake? Shake its head really hard, get discharged out of its ears? Does the cat want you to scratch them? So when they're in the room and you start scratching and they hike that butt up right away to get that really good butt scratch, is that something they excessively do? because they may be taking advantage if you have something like a flea allergic cat to get that really itchy spot taken care of. The other thing, and not, this isn't necessarily going to the cats being itchy, but something else you want to ask if you're suspecting something like environmental allergies is, does the cat do any wheezing or have respiratory signs? Because feline asthma is something very common and very unique to cats that they like to show with their environmental allergies. So, they can sometimes pick up on that seasonal wheezing, or if they've previously had x rays that showed a broncho interstitial pattern where they do have signs of feline asthma, then that's really gonna indicate to us that environmental allergies are a big issue. So, you can't just ask cat owners, well, is your cat itchy? Because oftentimes they will say no. You really wanna break it down into do they overgroom? Do they have hairballs? Do they rub their face? And all the other things that we talked about because they can't understand necessarily that pruritus is a big term and there's lots of different ways that kitties can show that pruritus. So you have to be very, very specific in how you're asking their cat owners um, if their cat is itchy. My fourth tip, don't give up on flea control. I know it's frustrating. I know you'll get these cats that are sent to you. I had one today, that in the past, the cat was very itchy to the dorsal lumbar sacral area, but because the cat was indoors, and because the owner didn't see any fleas, and because the other cat wasn't itchy, even though he previously had been prescribed flea control from another veterinarian, he never started it, and didn't, you know, kind of came in right away saying, I don't think it's fleas. But I was diligent and we talked about flea allergy and environmental allergy and just took a step back and said, yes, I understand your cat is indoors. I understand that your cat is not, your other cat's not itchy, but we want to take away the things that are really easy and are on the outside before we pursue things that are more in depth. So Ectoparasite control, the nice thing is now that we have these great products like the Isoxazalines, so Revolution Plus and Perfecto for our kitties is that they get rid of lots of ectoparasites. So the other way that I'll phrase it to owners is besides it being a really great flea control, and we want to rule that out anyway, it also rules out lots of other things like different mites and different ectoparasites where we can make sure that it's not something more simple causing these issues. And then we can reevaluate after being on it for a month or two to see where we end up. So you want to pay attention to the distribution of lesions, if you see a kitty that has that dorsal lumbar sacral area for sure but cats are really sensitive to exposure to any um cat flea cat flea is named the cat flea for a reason it wants to be on the cat they named it very beautifully um so it's really important even if they're an indoor cat even if the other cats not itchy to rule out flea allergies in these allergic kitties because they can tremendously become itchy if they're not on good quality flea control. The way sometimes I'll explain it to an owner if they're really fighting me on it is I like to always relate things to people and things that they might be able to have a friend who's had an issue with that they could identify with. So my example for this is if I am with an owner and talking about flea allergy and they don't understand why they wouldn't see fleas or why the other animal wouldn't be itchy, it's like having a bee allergy if you've seen the movie My Girl, if you have a friend who's bee allergic, if you and me are sitting out in a field and we both get stung by a bee, if I'm not allergic, I might notice the sting, but my body doesn't have this tremendous reaction to it. Whereas if you're allergic and you get the same exposure, but you're allergic, your body can have a tremendous reaction that's completely different than me who's not allergic. So it's just a different way that your body's having your reaction. I also tell owners, it's obvious you don't have a flea problem. Sometimes owners get defensive because they think, oh gosh, I don't have fleas everywhere. So obviously you don't have a flea problem because your other cat's not itchy and you're, I'm not seeing, fleas on your animal, but any minimal exposure that they could get that a normal animal wouldn't be bothered by could be causing a tremendous hypersensitivity reaction in your cat. So let's just take that out of the equation, take that easy thing away, and then see what we're left with and if it's not effective the way we want it to be, then we'll work up other types of allergies. So do not give up. I know it can be disheartening. There's a way that you can be um, artistic about it and not so domineering about it, but you do not want to give up. You are the doctor, and if you truly think something like flea allergy is a, is a really important part of the, the puzzle, then we need to figure that out. My last tip of the five do an oral exam this is so important in our feline dermatology cases especially our allergy cases cats the other way they like to be unique with their allergies is they get eosinophilic granulomas and they can get rodent ulcers I've seen a rodent ulcer so bad, it's literally eaten away a part of the the philtrum and up to the nose. So they can get rodent ulcers. They can also get plaques on their soft palate or their hard palate. So today, another kitty that I saw came in for some crusting and itchiness on the trunk and back. But when I actually looked in in the oral cavity, I saw a a mild rodent ulcer on the right uh, upper lip. And then I saw an eosinophilic granuloma Um, right on the hard palate. And it was something the owner had never noticed because they're not going to sit there and stare inside their cat's mouth all the time. But since cats really are unique and they love to have oral lesions with their allergies, it's really important that we are not forgetting oral examinations In these kitties. And most cats are actually pretty tolerant of it. Obviously, there may be some cats that aren't, and you might have to sedate or wait for them to be under sedation for a reason to do this. But it is really important because it's very common for them to have issues on their lips, on their chin, or within the oral cavity itself. I do save the oral exam usually until the end. So I do the easy things first, like look at the back, look at the paws, look at the belly. And again, I'll let the cat hide in that towel and then we'll save the scope and the oral exam for last. So if they do resist us, if they're not happy with it, you know, we can abort if we need to. Um, but it is something that I do find if you take your time and work with the owner and use some fear-free methods that most kitties, I can get a good look in their mouth to evaluate if they have any oral lesions or not. So I hope that was really helpful. Those are my five tips. So one, again, implement fear-free or feline-friendly practices. It's going to make your owners much more happy and connected with you. It's going to be much more um, relaxing for you rather than doing the old mentality of holding them down. We want to make this something enjoyable because feline dermatology does require a lot of vet visits. And so we want the owners to actually come in for those vet visits and bring their cats in our door. Number two, communicate with owners. Make sure that we are talking about the long-term diagnostic workup for these allergic kitties. And then make sure you check in and see what can they do at home. What's realistic that they can do in their treatment plan and work with them the best that you can. Number three, don't just ask if the cat is itchy. Get specific. Do they overgroom? Do they have hairballs? Do they have asthmatic signs? Number four, don't give up on flea control as frustrating as it is. And we've all had owners that we have to do a lot of convincing for and some that we just end up losing the battle for. Don't give up if you truly think it's something important and see if you can use the, um, excuse of ectoparasite where it's true that we really are ruling out some of these other things that are important in the fact that we're getting good flea control is just another benefit. And number five, say, ah, open up that oral cavity in these kitties and look for things like the rodent ulcers and the granulomas and plaques on their palates so that we can be complete in working these kitties up and getting them comfortable. I hope that was a good intro into some of the unique things in feline dermatology. Again, I hope to have many more Um, podcast episodes about cat allergies and different cat diseases that we see in dermatology. It is an incredible fun field. It's one that's growing. There's a lot of kitties that if we can implement um, these fear-free practices and get them in the door, there's so many cats out there that we could be helping. So until the next podcast episode, as always, do all of your cytologies, make derm more fun than frustrating, and I can't wait to hear you or see you or I guess you'll be hearing me. Maybe I'll see you on my Instagram or Facebook, but I can't wait until we meet again on another episode of the podcast. And as always, if you have specific ideas that you would like to see episodes of the podcast, different subjects, then feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook at the DermVet.